Wonderful to see so many out this morning. It's a beautiful day to worship the Lord. Grateful for everybody's attendance. See that we have a few visitors with us and particularly grateful for your attendance and ask that you might indeed um, leave a record of your attendance with us. Make sure that if you've made that out that it's with us before you leave. This past Sunday morning, last Lord's Day, we talked in the sermon about those Christians, those Christians who live with a constant and abiding sense of their own sinfulness, inadequacies, their own sinful inadequacies, their own sinful tendencies, their own sinful unworthiness. They feel too unworthy to ever be in the presence or the house or the service of God. And certainly while nobody has ever lived that is worthy to be in God's presence with the exception of Jesus Christ, certainly while that's the case, certainly when we have done everything that we can possibly do as God's servants, we are still unworthy, Luke 17 and verse 10. It is those who never forget that. It is those who are ever mindful of that fact. It is those who never forget that fact. Those who let it seep into and seek to determine everything they do and everything they are, who are indeed amongst some of the greatest, most precious, most special and highly treasured of all of God's people, according to the very word of God itself. You'll recall if you were here last week that we showed from the scripture where John the Baptist admitted his own unworthiness. He said, I'm, I'm unworthy to untie his sandals. I'm unworthy to carry his sandals. John the Baptist said, I am so unworthy. Jesus Christ said, there's none been born greater than John the Baptist. The Roman centurion said, I'm not worthy. Twice, he said, I'm not worthy. Jesus Christ said, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. Prodigal son said, I am so unworthy. I'm not worthy. He said it twice. God the Father said, now you're finally worthy of the best I have to give you. Apostle Paul also lived with a constant and abiding sense of his own unworthiness. He never forgot how unworthy he was. He said, I am unworthy to even be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. God said to Paul, you are a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, your chosen vessel. We saw whether it was those great examples or some of the other ones. When we talked about the humble tax collector in Luke 18, verses 13 through 14, he goes in to pray, and he won't even lift up his eyes to heaven. He just said, be merciful. Oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said that man went away justified rather than the other. Whether it was some of those examples or King David. King David, who acknowledged with a broken heart that his sin was ever before him as he begged God's forgiveness and renewal in Psalm 51. Isaiah the prophet, again, noted how unworthy he was in Isaiah 6, 1 through 9. 
whether it's any of those or anybody else of such a poor and humble and bankrupt and contrite spirit, it is those people with that constant sense of recognition, the awareness of their own unworthiness to stand before God and be in his service, who are amongst the greatest, most precious servants of God, the most highly commended and treasured and valuable servants. It is indeed those who humble themselves whom he exalts. This morning, I'd like to take a look at exactly why that is the case. Last Sunday, we saw that it was the case in a lot of those examples. This Sunday, I'd like to look at why. Why is, why is that? Would you begin with me this morning by opening your Bibles to Luke chapter 7? Luke chapter 7. We'll take a look at why that is the case. Those who live with that constant and abiding sense of their own unworthiness are so treasured by God. Luke 7, beginning at verse 36. And one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. He went to the Pharisee's house and he sat down to eat. Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. As I read this story, I get the idea she certainly wasn't a frequent visitor to that home. And notice verse 38, she stood at his feet behind him, behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, wiped them with the hair of her head. She kissed his feet, anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself, notice to himself, saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what manner of woman this is who was touching him. She's a sinner. You can just almost sense the, the, de the detested state to this Pharisee that she was. And Jesus, verse 40, answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman. He said to Simon, you see this woman? Remember, she was behind him, the scripture says. He says to Simon, says, you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And again, I would simply bring up that walking through the streets of Jerusalem wasn't like we walk today. Walking through the streets of anywhere wasn't like we walk today with our, you know, several hundred dollars worth of footwear on and, you know, pavement and concrete and carpet. It wasn't like that. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You suppose to the others she'd made a spectacle of herself? I'm guessing. He said, she hasn't stopped. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And I think that's the key. 
A person who realizes how much, constantly aware of how much they've been forgiven, that type of person, a person who's constantly aware of their own sin before God, when that is all forgiven and that is, that is all wiped away, they, they know what kind of person they are. And they keep that ever before them, that God has forgiven them everything and they're not worthy to be in his presence. Oh, they make such special servants to God because they're always humble and they never forget where they came from. You may remember if you were here, I preached a sermon on Memorial Day about the whole thing about Memorial Day is that we must never forget where we came from, hence we have memorials. We have this memorial here of the, the Lord's Supper as we gather around the table and we must never forget the same idea of, of our sins and what God has forgiven us of. We must never forget how we were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's a constant sense of our own unworthiness. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, has made us alive together with Christ, raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace we have been saved, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he destined for us to do in advance. Therefore remember, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 and following. And that's ever before us. We realize how unworthy we are. so precious in the eyes of God. It is only those who lose or surrender, those who somehow forget or lose or surrender that constant sense of who they are in comparison to God and how unworthy they are and undeserving they are of the blessings that God has brought upon them that become less useful to God. People who forget that become less useful to God. They become less blessed by God, and they can wind up losing everything. That's why it's so special when you remember that. Let me take you and show you an example in the Old Testament of a man who lost sight of his own unworthiness for the blessings he had received and what happened to him. Turn to me in your Bibles to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Here's a man who started out so good with God and he was so blessed by God, but somewhere along the line, he lost that abiding sense of his own unworthiness, thought he was more than he was. Look what happened. Second Chronicles 26, beginning at verse one, it says this. Now all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father, Amaziah. Keep in mind, he's 16. Verse two. <clears throat> He built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his father. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. He reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. 
His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. Now verse 4. And he did what was right, the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He sought God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. This man's blessed. He's doing well. He humbled himself in the sight of God. He sought God. He did the will of God, and he was blessed for it. And these verses that follow tell us how blessed he was. Let's pick up in verse 11. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of fighting men who went out to war by companies according to the number on their roll as prepared by Jael, the scribe of Maah, the officer under the hand of Hananiah, one of the king's captains. And it goes through this great list. And it goes down in verse 14, then Uzziah prepared for them for the entire army, shields, spears, helmets, body armor, bows, and slings to cast stones. He made devices in Jerusalem invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot <laughs> arrows and large stones. So his fame spread far and wide, for he was marvelously helped till he became strong. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men, and they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It's not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who were consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. He may have been king. He may have been blessed. God may have been with him. God gave him all this stuff. God helped him all these times. God helped him to be strong. But he did not have the authority of the priests. He got prideful. He forgot who he was and who he was dealing with. He lost the sense of his own unworthiness to offer this incense because that was not who God had chosen. Then Uzziah became furious. He had a censer in his hand, verse 19, to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him and there on his forehead he was leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him and King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper. He was cut off from the house of the Lord. What happened to this exceedingly strong, verse 8? Incredibly famous and very powerful king, verse 15, that caused him to lose everything? Lost the sense of his own unworthiness, verse 16. That's what happened. He failed to recall how undeserving he was of what God had blessed him with. And when he failed to remember that, when he failed to remember his own unworthiness, this once popular and powerful king became a lonely and isolated leper until the day of his death. It's a wonderful thing when we remember who we are in comparison to God. I find it very interesting that the very year that this man who, who got lifted up in his own pride and forgot who God was in comparison to him, forgot his unworthiness to have all the blessings that he did have. I find it interesting in the year that he did that, that the year that he died, that is, that 
The prophet Isaiah wound up proclaiming his own unworthiness, refusing to follow in the king's fatal footsteps. Turn with me to Isaiah 6. Isaiah chapter 6. This king who was mighty, took on too much, lost his humility, struck with leprosy. Years later, he died. Isaiah wasn't following in his footsteps. In Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. One cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The post of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. The house was filled with smoke, so I said, Woe is me! This is Isaiah. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He said, I am so unworthy, I don't deserve to be here at all. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he'd taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth with it, and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send who will go for us? And he said, Here am I. Send me. What we see in this text right here, when we look at this text in Isaiah 6, 1 through 8, we see embedded one of the biggest reasons why those who are constantly aware of their own unworthiness are so special and precious to God. Right here in this text. Because it is those people who make the most grateful, willing, and hardworking children in the entire family of God. That's why. Because those people who have a constant sense of their own unworthiness, like Isaiah, when there's a call comes out to go for God, they'll go. Just on sheer gratitude. They're so grateful to have what they have in the eyes of God. They will spare no effort of sacrifice in order to live and serve more worthily than they ever have before. That is what we see right here in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. It's what we see with the Apostle Paul. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, which we spoke of last week. We quoted these two verses last week. But we come right back to them this week. It's the same thing as Isaiah. What drove the Apostle Paul accomplished a few things for God in his life, right? A few things. What drove him to do that? What drove Paul? Paul was not Superman. He didn't have cape and tights. Paul struggled with sin, Romans 7. Paul had a thorn in the flesh, we know that. Paul was a human, just like you and me, okay? When they stoned him, left him for dead, it bruised him. He wasn't Superman. What drove him to be the man he was and accomplish the things he accomplished? I'll tell you what it was. He never lost sight of his own unworthiness and what God had forgiven him. That's what made him the servant he was. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 9 and 10, look at it. Paul says, for I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, 
Paul knew what he'd been forgiven. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Paul never forgot how terribly, horribly, awfully unworthy he was personally. He never forgot that. He was so grateful after all he'd done that God allowed him in his service. It drove him. He would confess his unworthiness to the Corinthians like he did right here. He'd tell it to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. He'd report it to King Agrippa in Acts 26, 9 through 11, as well as anybody else that would listen. He would tell them, I was the chief of sinners. I was the worst. And God, God considered me faithful and he put me in his service. And he forgave me all my sin. And that drove him. But he still never lost sight of it. And it was that very recognition, that absolute attitude of gratitude for what God had done for one as unworthy as Saul of Tarsus, which drove him to constantly want to live a life more worthy of God than he ever had before. I'm reminded here of a, an illustration I heard probably, I think it was back in the late 80s, and I've never forgotten it. Now, granted, I'm probably not going to tell it exactly like it was told, but I was a, we were fairly new Christians. We were converted in 1985, and I think it was the early, late 80s, might have been early 90s. I don't remember, but it was a number of years ago, and, and I'm sure all the facts won't be exactly as they were told to me, but it's one of those preacher stories, but it's a good illustration. So went something like this. There was a tribe in Africa, third world country, and in this tribe it was very poor, and some of the members of the tribe had animals and when a when a man wanted to marry a woman he had to give something to the father he'd give the father a goat or a chicken or something for produce now that was pretty much standard and if the woman was really a prize really worth a lot like a dowry system for those of you that are old enough to remember that if she was really something special i mean everybody you know, the men were competing for her. Then maybe, just maybe, the man that wanted to marry her would give a, a, a cow. They were rare, they were prized, and, and he'd give a cow. And so there was this woman, there was this daughter of one of the tribesmen. She was, how do I put this? Not desirable. In every way, she was not desirable. She was not pretty or comely. She was not, there was nothing about her that was really attractive in her lifestyle or anything else. She just wasn't one of those attractive choices for a wife. And so one day this young man comes to her father and he says, I want to give you eight cows for her. And the father's just blown away. Eight? And he actually says to the man, he says, are you out of your mind? I don't know what the tribal language was, but it's a rough comparison. Are you out of your mind? I mean, I, I love my daughter and all, but eight cows? I mean, yes. So finally, the young man talked the father into it, and he gave the father the eight cows. And you know what happened after that? He married this woman. Because of the price that was paid for her, she changed 
in so many different ways that she became the envy of every woman in that tribe. They respected her, they looked, she's worth, hey, I was worth a chicken, you know? Work with me here, I know it's America, but this is not a sexist story, okay? Eight, wow, she's gotta be something, and the more that people thought that she was something, and the more she realized the price that was paid for her, the more worthy she became in that she changed so many things. Brethren, that's a good illustration of the Apostle Paul. Paul said, I was so unworthy, but, but I worked harder to become more worthy than I'd ever been before. Not, not so that I could gain God's love, but I was so unworthy and I was given God's love and grace, I wanted to live worthier after that. And that's exactly what he did. We can never be worthy of the blood of Christ, don't get me wrong, we can never be worthy of the price that was paid, but because of the price that was paid for somebody as unworthy as we are, we can live worthier than we used to. In fact, Paul appeals to us to do that. Paul appealed to others who understood their own personal unworthiness, like he did, to show their love and gratitude by living a life that was worthier after receiving God's love and forgiveness, just like he did. Let me show you several of these passages where God says, or Paul says, okay, you were unworthy, you're given God's love, now that you've been given God's love, live worthier than you used to. He says this is how you do it. Remember, all these letters were written to Christians. Turn to me the first one, Ephesians 4. You want to live more worthy? Here's how you do it. Ephesians chapter 4. Look what he says. And remember, this was written to Christians just like you and I, members of the Lord's church in the first century. He says, I therefore, Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. How do we do that, Paul? How do we live worthy of that calling? We were unworthy, God forgave us and we're now in Christ. Oh, the love that the Father has lavished upon us. We have redemption in Christ. We have all of those things, Ephesians chapter one. How do, we, how do we live more worthy? He says, I beg you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called with all lowliness, gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. That's how we live worthy. If you believe and you know and you understand how unworthy you are of the love of Christ and the blood of Christ and the forgiveness that he's given you, and you want to live worthier, this is how you do it. Paul says, live worthy, and here's, be patient with one another. Be long-suffering, be humble. He said, here's how you do it. This is what it means to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, verse 1. Let's look at another one. Look with me in Philippians. Paul mentions this worthiness so many times. Turn to me to Philippians 1. Look at verses 27 and 8. He says, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Talking to Christians. Okay, Paul. I understood how unworthy I was. I understood the grace that God has given me. How do I live worthier? He said, here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. Let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit. That's how you live more worthy. You stand fast with your brothers and sisters in one spirit. 
with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Listen, when we sign our names out there and we take these packets to these new movers, we are standing firm in one mind, standing together on the faith of the gospel. One faith, one gospel. We are promoting that. When we talk to people about Jesus, we are doing that. When we all stand united together, that's a life worthy of the gospel. That's what he says. This is what it means to let your conduct be worthy of the gospel. Look with me in Colossians chapter 1. Paul says, you want to become a person who's living a life more worthy? Here's how you do it. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 9, he says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. A person who never forgets how unworthy they are is going to continually grow. They're going to continually add to their wisdom. They're going to take advantage of every opportunity to learn that they might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. That's how it's done. Fully pleasing him, that's a worthier walk. Being fruitful in every good work, that's walking worthy. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Patience and long-suffering with joy. That's how you walk worthy. Has Jesus told us that we can have joy? Has he said that? Yeah, he has. And so, to walk worthy is not to waste that joy that he's given us, to walk worthy of it, just like not wasting that grace that he has given us. Walking worthy of the Lord is a person who is patient and long-suffering, giving thanks, pleasing God, being fruitful in every good work. If you hear of a good work going on in the church, get in there and do something with it. That's how you walk worthy now. Look what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verses 10 through 12. Look what he says. You are witnesses in God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. You know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. If we're going to walk worthy of God, and his kingdom, then we must be willing to accept exhortation, comforting, and charging from others. In, in other words, not you know like charging, but, but when people charge us or they want to teach us or correct us of what God has said, if we're going to walk worthy, then we must be willing to listen to instruction. This is the kind of worthier life that those who walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory, verse 12, will live. Finally, turn to me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Look at verses 3 through 5. Beautiful text. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly. Your faith has got to be growing. Listen, if you know do you know it's a privilege? Do you know how much of a privilege it is to serve God? I wake up some days and I still can't get my mind around the fact God allows me to work in his kingdom. 
This isn't a burden. I can't believe God would allow me to work for him in his church. You know what a privilege that is? Some jobs that you have to do, you have to have certain credentials. In order to work in the kingdom, you have to be sinless. That, because you're not in the kingdom unless your sins are wiped away. That's how you get into the kingdom, is your sins are washed away. And you become part of his church, his kingdom. And I wake up some days and I think, in order to work in the church, you've got to be sinless. And God allows me the privilege, the privilege of working with his people. Because my sins are gone. What a blessing. He says we're bound. Thank God always to you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you abounds toward each other. That's what it means to live worthier than you used to. If you're mindful of how unworthy you are, then you're going to strive to do this, to be worthier. So that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God and your patience and faith in your persecutions and tribulations which you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer. There's going to be trials and tribulation. He says you face them with patience. You face them with faith and you endure them. That's manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God. That is so that you may be counted worthy. A person who walks away in tribulation, a person who walks away when the going gets tough because, because they're facing hard times and they walk away from the Lord. That's not going to work for them or God. But it shows that we're worthy when we struggle through those things and we hang on to God. It's what it means to be counted worthy of the kingdom, verse 5. And finally, his prayer for them is my hope for us, especially in light of these two lessons, last Sunday morning and this morning. And his prayer for them that is my hope for us is found in verses 11 and 12 of this very chapter. He says, Therefore we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling, and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you, and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means that God would count us worthy. May God count us worthy of the calling. This whole little sermon series started out when about four different people within a couple of days all said, I feel so unworthy, like it was a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing when we feel unworthy. Because when we feel unworthy of what God has given us, it exalts Christ to his proper place of authority and lordship. And as long as we always maintain that humility, understanding how much we need God, God can use us. What a wonderful thing. Painful. Okay, yeah, I get it. I know my sin too. Painful, but beautiful because it keeps us humble. 
God can work with humble. God can't work with unhumble, <coughs> proud. Not one living soul has ever been worthy of the blood of Christ. Not one soul. And it is those who never lose sight of that who are most useful to him. Now, maybe this morning you're somebody here who was a little like Saul of Tarsus. I, I don't know some of you where you're from, your background, that sort of thing. But maybe you're here this morning and you've always been deeply religious and, and did what you thought was right. But when you compare that with what God said, maybe there's some changes that you need to make. Maybe, maybe it's time that you repent and have come to the point that you say, you know what, I need my sins washed away. And, and I've never been baptized specifically for the forgiveness of my sins. I've never taken advantage of that gift and had them all just washed away so I could be part of God's family. We'd love this morning to help you with that or to study that with you, if that is something that you would like. Maybe like Saul of Tarsus, you need to hear the words, and now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord, Acts 22 and verse 16. And you know what he did as soon as he was baptized? He rose, took some food, and started preaching that Jesus was the Christ. Maybe you're somebody who's been baptized, but you struggle to tell others about Jesus. You need the prayers of the church. Saul of Tarsus got up and took it on, but some of us need a little extra strength. Maybe you're somebody here this morning that got baptized years ago, but... Somehow, somewhere along the way, you've lost the sense of how unworthy that you are. It happens sometimes. Pride can get in there. Satan is strong. Maybe you're looking around this morning and you're saying, you know what, I've kind of lost sight of my first love. I've forgotten, forgotten just what I am in comparison to God, and I, I want to become that humble person again. Maybe you need the prayers of the saints <coughs> to remember what an opportunity and privilege it is to serve God. If you have any of those needs this morning and you would join the family of God, the grateful unworthy, as it were, we'd ask that you come to the front as we stand and as we sing.